Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight for the third pod... Oh, no, we did tight ends. Third out of four podcasts in a row, Nick Pollock, and I am joined here tonight by Mr. Matt DeBear. How you doing, Matt? I am doing fantastic. It is uh, getting ever closer to football season, which is a good thing. It is. It's really... Uh, it's really creeping up, huh? Like it's, I, I, I've, I've talked about this before on other podcasts, but like I think me being so removed from anything Penn State for the last however many months has kind of helped it sneak up on me. But like every time I look up, I, I swear the calendar has jumped like two weeks closer to the season. It happens so fast. Yeah, I don't know if it's the the weather back this way or whatever it is. It's just it's. And, and as as Nick learned right before we went on the air, and as listeners that have been with us for a while know, um, I have a nearly three month old daughter that, that Nick met actually uh, via via the miracle of the internet. So I don't know if it's the fact that you know occupied with with a newborn and everything that goes along with that, and it'll, you know how busy every summer is. But all of a sudden you look up and it's like we're in like early to mid August now, and this Saturday is what three weeks from from the West Virginia game. It's just like. When did that happen? It's crazy. I, I I would like to note for the listeners, I did have a gripe with Matt as I was meeting his child. She is wearing a onesie with the number one on the back, but instead of Rob Bolden's name, for some reason it says Matt's last name, and I'm a bit confused about that. Um, but you know, I'll let it. So slide, was my daughter, by the way. She was she was not sure what uh, what Uncle Nick was talking about. Yeah, yeah. She she immediately cried after I suggested that it should be Bolden as well. So. Clearly, she has a lot to learn about her Penn State history. Yes, yes, we we actually. Uh, so, if anyone's been watching BTN in the last you know couple of weeks, they've had the, their school days, and um, the 2016 Ohio State Penn State game has been on twice in the last like ten days. And of course, I have watched both times. Of course, and of course, because I am the parent of a nearly three month old, she is with me. You know, basically twenty four seven when I'm at home. Um, and she was the first time we watched, not really into it. Last night we watched it again, and she was kind of a little bit more intrigued. So I think by the time we get to West Virginia here in, in twenty what days, twenty five days, or whatever it is, um, she'll be she'll be fully on board and, and ready to roll and, and can recite the two deep uh, like no one's business. And her first words will be, "And the kick is blocked." And her first action will be Marcus Allen with the hook in the mouth. That's exactly how it's going to go down. Um, Grant Haley will score. But instead of talking about Marcus Allen and all the amazing things for the 2016 team, Matt, let's instead take the chance to talk about the offensive line of the 2023 Penn State football team here. Real quick, if you're not subscribed to the podcast already, please make sure you do so on whatever your podcast platform of choice is um, or iTunes, um, Spotify, or even YouTube. You know, you can check us out on YouTube as well. So last year, Matt, the Penn State offensive line performed at a level that is probably fair to say they haven't performed at since that those 2016 2017 seasons um only allowed 21 sacks on the year tied for 40th in the country which doesn't sound great but is a significant step up for what we have seen from penn state for you know the most part of the last decade um the team also rushed for 181 yards a game uh, 4.8 yard per carry average. Yes, a lot of that is to do with the fact that Nick, Nick Singleton and Catron Fatman Allen are incredible, but the offensive line, of course, gets a lot of credit for that as well. 
The only starter from last year's unit that will not be on this year's team is Drew Scruggs at center. And while, you know, and Drew Scruggs, I got drafted in the sec in the second round. Is that how high I ended up going? I don't think it was that high, but it was, it was higher than I think probably a lot of us would have guessed going into the draft. I know that they had two, three second round picks. It was Porter. It was, um, strange. And then I, it, it might've been juice. Let's let, let's do some, it, you're right. He was, he was the, I don't know how many picks from the second round if it's a full 32, but he was the uh, 31st pick in the second round by the Texans. Yeah. Crazy. Good for him. Uh, I know Scruggs, you know, someone that we, I think were always, you know, the Penn state community, I think understood how good he was, even if he didn't necessarily get the national attention. So really good to see that NFL evaluators were able to, you know, see the impact that he can have. But speaking of that impact, Matt, how big of a deal is it for this 2023 team to not have Juice Scruggs in the center? Well, I think anytime you lose a guy that has that much experience, especially on the offensive line and even more so at center, um, it's a big impact. There's so much experience there. There's so much continuity. Um, there's so much that's just kind of inherently known. You know, everyone kind of knows where everyone's supposed to be. It's like second nature. And when you lose that, that reliability and that familiarity, then that's obviously going to have an impact. But I think as we'll talk about here a little bit more, as we go through this, that both you know, missed, I believe a little bit of time last year with some, you know, little, um, little, uh, little minor injuries. Yeah. Um, and I think especially the second half of last season, you saw a lot of guys get a lot of playing time in a lot of different positions. So I think that ultimately minimizes the impact. I think the other thing too, obviously Penn State's breaking in a new quarterback this year, so you don't have necessarily that that second nature quarterback center relationship that Sean Clifford and Drew Scruggs um, certainly would have developed over the last couple of years. You're not you're not having to introduce half of that battery, if you will. You're not introducing you know a new center to an, ex- an existing quarterback or vice versa. So I think that aids it a little bit. There's you know more of that natural transition that can take place. There's not um, any built-in, you know, this is how we used to do things sort of sort of mindset among that group. But like I said, you know, he's a guy that obviously was very talented, went in the second round of the NFL draft, played a lot of football for Penn State. Um, just having that level of experience and, um, and, and a talent at that critical position on the offensive line, um, obviously there's an impact losing, losing a guy like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's, it's, you brought up a really interesting point. I hadn't really thought about, you know, typically, you know, when you think new quarterback, you kind of think like, I mean, it'd be nice to, if the guy in front of him was, you know, seasoned, experienced, um, had some, had a good amount of experience handing off the ball at that level. But it's, it, the point you brought up is interesting that like you don't have to then worry about, like, like I, it's, you, you can make the argument either direction, right? But I, I like the way you phrased it in that, like, whoever ends up being the starting center, likely Hunter Norzad, we'll talk about in a second. It's kind of like a fresh start for both of them. So I like, I like the way you put that. Um, so to continue on to this year's team, then, Matt, we presume that the starters on the offensive line, uh, we presume the starting unit's going to look basically as follows Olu Fashanu at left tackle, Landon Tengwall at left guard. Hunter Norzad at center, Sal Wormley at right guard, and Caden Wallace at right tackle. There are obvious non-question marks in that group. Olu Fushanu has claimed to being the best left tackle in college football right now. Had he decided to go into the NFL draft last year, 
almost surely would have been a top 10 pick probably would have challenged for top five, depending on how the board ended up falling. But there are no questions with him was incredible in his first year as a starter last year. Only, you know, only can expect to see even more from him this year. Landon Tengwall, you know, missed a lot of time due to injury last year. Um, He's, you know, been inconsistent in the time we've seen him, but extremely talented player. I think we all feel pretty safe and comfortable with him at left guard. We'll talk about center in a moment. Sal Wormley was the guy that got kind of got the most hype out of anybody last year during preseason camp. And, you know, maybe didn't quite show that level of, uh, maybe didn't quite live up to the hype completely in that regard, but still performed fairly well. Um, And then Caden Wallace at right tackle last year was, you know, I think most would probably call him the weak link of the offensive line last year, even though the line overall was still pretty great. So kind of going across here, since we're not not really worried about the left side, I think we know what we got there. I think the first question is who steps up at center? Is it Hunter Norzad as expected, a guy that saw a lot of time at guard last year, but also saw a little bit of time at center? Um, or do we see like Nick Dawkins take a step up in his uh, third year on campus, second year on campus? Do we maybe see uh, former blue chip uh, prospect Alex Birchmeyer start to work his way now that he's been moved back into the tier- interior? So what are you thinking about center, Matt? Well, I think it's it's like you said, it's, it's Hunter Norzad's job to lose. Um, he got experience there last year when Scruggs was, Scruggs was out both uh, with injury and then in just as kind of a rotational piece. Um, he's obviously a guy who's played more football than anyone along that offensive line. This is going to be his, I believe, sixth year of college football when you go back to um, to Cornell yep. and their fifth year. I, and with COVID, who knows, it might be his 15th year, but for all I can, all I can count. But he's a guy who's played a lot of football. Um, he's a guy, as you've heard the coaches talk here in the first couple weeks of, of spring or of spring camp, fall camp. Um, he's a guy that is routinely brought up as um, kind of a guy you don't have to worry about. He knows what he's doing. Um, and when you talk about that transition, like we were saying earlier, from Juice Scruggs to a new player at center, that's the kind of guy you want. And that's not to say that any of the guys you mentioned, um, primarily Nick Dawkins, probably the the odds-on favorite to be the, the, the backup at this point going into the season, um, but or Alex Birchmeyer, whoever it might be, um, there's there's that talent behind them. And I think there, there's a level of comfort, certainly with Norzad, but I think even whether the inevitable injury bug strikes or poor performance or whatever it might be, there is um, there's certainly one guy in Dawkins that is really, I think kind of, kind of the guy that everyone has earmarked for the number two there. Um, but there's, there's other guys too there. And that's kind of going to be a, a recurring theme as we go through this here, that there is depth at each of these spots and not just that, but depth of guys who have, have played and performed. And I think there's a level of, of, of knowledge about what they're going to bring to the table when they get on the field during during live eight game action. It does seem like that's the big difference with this unit as compared to past units. And last year's unit was kind of getting there too, but uh, just the presence of depth and the presence of usable and reliable depth, that was the battle that James Franklin, you know, that was, the, we've said at nauseum, that was the main hurdle he was going to have to clear when he arrived at Penn State because Bill O'Brien rightfully took the path of saying like, Hey, we only have so many scholarships. Let me just get as many talented dudes, playmakers as I can. Let's try to do something with that. And the offensive line, offensive line was neglected as a result. It takes a long time to kind of 
rebuild those sort of pipelines, but they finally are in a spot where it seems like they have a legitimate three deep at every position, more or less, and that's a big deal. I'm not sure I'd go to the extent of three deep at every spot, but they've got, I think they've got 10 guys that they're comfortable playing, nine or 10 guys when you factor in the, you know, there's a, uh, a couple guys that we'll talk about here in a minute that can play multiple spots. Um, but you hit it, hit the nail on the head. The condition of the offensive line position as a whole, believe it or not, 10 years ago now, 10 seasons ago when um, James Franklin arrived, that between the numbers and the level of talent that was there, it takes a long, long time. And Phil Troutwine alluded to this um, in an article on um, BWI um, this week that it's a developmental position. You need and you need guys that understand that that's what this this position entails. Is it's very, very, very rare that a guy comes in in the first or second year and can pre- perform consistently at a high level week in, week out against Big Ten and above competition. And it's taken time, especially with the turnover from Matt Lime Grover to Phil Troutwine, who, believe it or not, is now in his fourth season Wild. Uh, after arriving right before the pandemic in 2020. Um, getting guys in that, that he recruited that have the traits that he wants and then showing a level of patience, which we started to see rewarded last year, and I think we expect the next step this year for those guys, whether it be a guy like Nick Dawkins or J.B. Nelson, who's going to um, factor in at a couple spots inevitably, uh, Vega Ione, a guy that uh, got a lot of buzz last year as a true freshman, um, was able to preserve that red shirt, and and will certainly factor in um, somewhere along the offensive line this year. Uh, Drew Shelton, a guy that played last year that burned that red shirt uh, largely because of injuries, but was brought along in a way and wasn't given too much too soon, where he held his own, and that's that's the kind of experience not for even not even just for Drew Shelton, but a number of guys that had that situation last year, especially in the second half of the year where the guy in front of them went down, they got in, they played, and they showed they could play. Were they perfect? No, not at all. No one expected them to be perfect. But they took that opportunity, learned and grow, grew from it, and took that into the offseason. And that's really the, the buzz that there is for this group this season, going into the season, is there's lots of guys who can play. There's several guys who have shown they can play at a very high level, led by Olu Fashanu, of course. Um, and you factor that in with two running backs, like you said, Nick, that help cover up some of those, those misses when they happen and it's inevitably going to happen. It's just a really deep, talented group of guys that there's a lot of known quantities there and it's, it's good knowledge that you have on them. I think Matt, one of the surprises because there is so much more talent now than there has been in past years. And because they've had, like you said, the opportunity to grow and learn in this system, develop under Troutwine for multiple years now, have it the same offensive system for the third year in a row now, for the first time in a really long time at Penn State. Even with all that talent and so many names that you know we hear brought up in camp, like this guy is really playing well, this guy's really surprising, it sounds like the guy that was the weak link on the line last year, Caden Wallace, does still have his hold on that right tackle spot what do you think it is that, you know, what should we expect from him this year? Like it judging by the fact that he still is holding this job, you would have to assume that he's taken some strides this off season. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of it too, is he's healthy. Um, I know ne- I got the impression last year, he was never really a hundred percent or wasn't a hundred percent very often. Um, and obviously he ended up missing um, 
quite a few games towards the end of the year, if, my, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think that's part of it. He's healthy. Um, it's as uh, our buddy Sean Fitz put it, um, and something I was reading the other day. It's a contract year for him. This is it. <laughs> you know, right. he's he's done with collegiate eligibility, and it's you know the NFL or bust as far as football goes for him um, after this season. So there's a level level of pressure there, and I think too you've got a guy in Drew Shelton who's been primary the primary backup at the right tackle spot who is certainly showed he was capable of playing last year. You've got someone behind him who's pushing him, who um, is certainly very talented in his own right, has that experience to draw on. Um, and even J.B. Nelson, who I mentioned earlier, is primarily a backing up at left tackle as well as um, working in at guard. Um, it's kind of one of that those uh, Swiss Army knife guys on, up front. But there's, and this I think holds true for a lot of positions, but especially at right tackle with a guy like Wallace, that you've got guys who can play behind him and given the expectations of this season and I think the the known quantities of those guys behind them, if you're not performing, you're not going to play. They're, Phil Troutwin and James Franklin aren't going to hesitate to pull someone who's shown to be ineffective and put someone else in and see if they can get better performance there. Um, and that hasn't always been the case on the offensive line, really until the last year or two, in my opinion, just because – they've had to show that level of patience with letting these guys develop. Olu Fushan was a perfect example of that. You know, a guy that we didn't hear anything about for two years, really, um, other than, oh, he's coming along nicely in the scout team and working himself in, but you know, don't really expect anything from him. Steps in at left tackle and becomes one of the best players in the country at his position Crazy. in his first real game action. That's the, the perfect example of that developmental aspect of the position as a whole is letting guys have time to develop into what they're going to become. And they've been able to do that now where when someone graduates, they're not going to a freshman or a sophomore. They're not going to a guy who's a year or two into the program. They're in most cases going to a guy who's three or four years into the program who not only has the experience, but is just physically mature enough and has developed his game to be able to play the most physical position in the game. And having that across the board as at a too deep level is so, so critical. You see it with the best teams in the country. Their offensive line is, you know, junior, senior, redshirt, sophomore, redshirt, junior, guys that are three or four or five years of experience. Um, it's so, so critical to have most, if not all of your line made up of guys like that. And Penn State is really finally there. Even when someone inevitably goes down, the guy that they're going to plug in, in most cases, is a guy that's, three, four, five years into the program and is ready physically and experience wise now to, to take on that act, that responsibility. Yeah. They really have done a, a really excellent job of, you know, what, like you said, they, they've built a system now where you don't have to take giant steps back when you lose a starter. Like you have enough pieces in place with enough talent that you can replenish easily enough and continue to perform at a high level. And that's true of the Penn State offensive line. It's also true of our friends over at Homefield Apparel. That was a good one. Uh, you know about Homefield Apparel, sponsor of the podcast. Matt's wearing a shirt right now. If you're watching on YouTube, check it out there. Um, but they have been great friends to the podcast for a while now. They make incredible shirts. You know about Homefield. 
Like, you know what they do. You know that they work hard to make designs that you care about, not just for Penn State, but for over 150 schools out there. Um, they have a wonderful Penn State collection, but you'd be doing yourself a disservice not to check out the other things they have it, have as well over at homefieldapparel.com. Um, and you're in luck today because if you use a new email, create a new account at homefieldapparel.com, if you enter the code RLR23 at checkout, you can get 15% off of your first order. That could be on any of the original 15-piece Penn State collection or the additional 13-piece collection. You could check out the new Kent State stuff they just dropped or are dropping this weekend as we record this maybe. Um, but you can rep... Um, Dante Cephas is old school, new Penn State receiver. Get, show him some love. Uh, I've seen one shirt that they pushed already there. It looks incredible. Um, so, you know, home field, very much the, the Penn State offensive line of the clothing world and that they are a system that is built to replenish and continue to pump out incredible high-level talents. My metaphor is falling apart here. Talent slash shirt slash apparel, joggers, sweatshirts, you know, they got it all. Definitely worth checking out. Get some Christmas shopping done early this year. Why not? Every time you use a new email, sign up for a new account, that code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. One more time, RLR23, not the old code, which I believe was just Roar Lines Roar, RLR23. Matt, you mentioned a lot of the names that we're going to talk about right here when we talk about the, the rest of the reserves that fill out this Penn State depth chart. I want to start with Drew Shelton who you touched on quite a bit already, but is probably the name that even uh, the most casual Penn State fan knows well already because of how much time he played last year, both um, at right tackle and left tackle. He really got a lot of run at both spots, you know, considering that he was a freshman. Why is it, in your opinion or in your informed opinion, why is it that he seems to be sticking as Olufashanu's backup at left tackle right now instead of fighting for the right tackle spot with Caden Wallace? I think there's two reasons. One, I don't think you're going to see Olufashanu come off the field a whole lot this year, um, presuming he's able to stay healthy, God willing. Um, so I think the, the amount of playing time that's available at left tackle is diminished compared to what's going to be available at right tackle. Despite as we were talking about earlier, Caden Wallace presumably taking a step or starting to fulfill his potential, um, you might say, um, you're still going to see more of a rotation at that right tackle spot just because I think of what they know they have in Drew Shelton and um, trying to keep that position fresh where there isn't, you know, a guy like Fashanu, for example, that's head and shoulders above the guy behind him. Um, so I think that's one reason they've kept him at right tackle. I think, we both of us expect him, you know, not to look forward, but down the road to move back to the left side, where it's kind of his natural position, where he's was more comfortable. Um, certainly a year ago, um, but I think that's really it. Is they want to get him on the field um, as they're able to, and that's just more easily done at right tackle. Um, and that's all, like I said, also the spot on the line that is the biggest question mark probably at this point, as far as what they got a year ago needing to be better this year to take the to be where they want to be at the end of the season. They need better play there, and obviously they feel like that's they have the potential to get that um, with Shelton not only pushing Wallace, but also being able to get on the field potentially under either rotation or just performance-related reasons. 
I think the other name that we're expecting to see a lot of over on the right side is probably J.B. Nelson, right? Um, you touched on the fact that he has played pretty much every position on the line. So I think the staff clearly feels comfortable with him as a um, true utility knife. We've also, I believe we saw him a good amount last year as an extra offensive lineman when they did go to those sets. Um, but I think, you know, it, as far as the differences between old past offensive lines and this one, I think JB Nelson is a really great example of how far they've come because I think in most other years, JB Nelson is probably a surefire starter and he's relegated on this team to the role of kind of just the floater, which I, I think he's a great representation of how far this group has come. For sure. And it's, you know, he's a uh, Lackawanna uh, college kid. So your junior college guy who, again, as you said, Nick, not even to be able, not even to plug him in right away, you know, giving him a chance to kind of grow into his potential and play when he's ready to play. And we saw him all over the place last year. Um, like I was saying, you'll see him primarily. He's probably the number three slash four tackle. Technically probably the primary backup to Fashano, not to put, you know, horrible things out into the universe, but if Fashano misses any amount of time, that'll be something kind of interesting to watch. Is it Nelson that steps in or they move Shelton back over there? Um, he's backing up Tangwall. Um, Tangwall missed um, the open practice session uh, to the media on Sunday after uh, media day. Um, and JB Nelson was kind of the, the number one guy at left guard during that session. Um, doesn't sound like there's a whole lot to worry about there with Tangwall's um, ultimate availability, but something to keep an eye on. Um, but he, he can play all over. He's a guy, like you said, Nick, that they plugged in last year as the extra offensive line, uh, extra offensive lineman in certain situations. Um, have, having a guy like that, again, has the experience and you can kind of plug in and you know what you're going to get. Is he, you know, a first day, second day NFL draft prospect? Probably not, but he's certainly more than capable of playing at a high level at, in, in the big 10 and, you know, filling in where they need him. And as you said, probably a starter on, in previous years, um, but is able to not be used more than he's, ready to, to be used, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and being plugged in, whether it be to injury, giving a guy a blow, whatever it might be, um, and being comfortable with a guy like that, that you can really just, you know, hey, Olu needs a series off. Go take a, go take this next series at, at left tackle. Um, Lynn Tangwell's banged up. You know, we need you to fill in as the starter at left guard today. Um, and, and you feel okay about that. I think the other name, Matt, when it comes to talking about the depth on the Penn State offensive line that stands out to fans right now is Vega Ione, who really announced his presence in a fantastic way last year. Um, I, ugh, God, I don't remember what game it was at this point that he really uh, stepped in and got a whole bunch of run. But even in brief flashes last year, even if he is not totally there technically, it was very clear the second that he stepped on the field that this is a strong, strong kid who's going to be able to move people around. And I think, you know, he is somebody again, like he's another one that I think in most years is probably starting for Penn State somewhere on the interior this year. Yeah, and I think that's actually probably the most intriguing battle to me. Um, right tackle, I think is... Um, I don't want to say it's not intriguing, but I think there's a very, it's very much known what you have there between Wallace and Shelton right guard, I think is the spot that is really intriguing to me because for all the buzz that Sal Wormley got last year, he was, didn't play poorly, but 
you can make an argument that he did not play up probably to the expectations. And that might be on, on us as fans and, and media for maybe over expecting what you'd get from him after missing the previous year uh, due to injury. Um, but I think that's a really intriguing battle between Warmly and Ione at right guard. Um, again, probably a spot where you're going to see both guys play quite a bit, um, especially earlier in the year as they try and figure out what combinations work and, you know, who can do what well. Um, but even if it's not this year, I think he's a guy that um, we're all really excited about just because um, he showed that just raw power um, that really has been lacking for a long time, especially on the inside of the Penn State offensive line. Having a guy like that that you really you know feel like has the physical, almost mean side of that position down, um, and you know he's just a redshirt freshman, so you really feel like the sky's the limit there. And again, looking long term, a guy that you feel really comfortable about continuing to develop, continuing to refine, refine his game, and you know building that experience this year. And next year, like I said earlier, that third year on campus is kind of that magical timeline for most offensive line prospects, really being ready to take that next step um, as presumably the guy at, at right guard with, I believe, Sal Wormley being a senior this year. Shout out Graham Kapowski High School out here in Washington, where Vig Ione hails from. However, they are not a very good baseball team, which is relevant to my interests. I very much enjoy playing them when my Toma Bears do. I think the other um, the other two names I think we should at least mention here, Matt, are the two blue chippers from the last recruiting class, Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams. Should we expect to see either of these guys on the field this year? I think with the four game redshirt rule, I think you'll probably see both. Um, you know, late in some of those early season games, um, or the UMass game you know, later on in, this, in the the first half of the season, I'll say. Um, but I think. Ideally, you don't see either of them beyond that. If I, I don't think, especially in the case of Jevin Williams, I think just kind of reading what's been out there um, through summer and now into fall camp, um, a guy that had to learn some aspects of the position. His high school was very run heavy. Um, kind of had to almost had to learn how to pass protect um, physically, but also just the mental side of the game. Um, you know, again, talking about that timeline and look, getting up to speed and all the calls and the different things that Big Ten defenses throw at you, getting used to all that at, at a high speed on top of the physical side of it, it sounds like the light's starting to come on a little bit, which isn't a knock on him by any means by not being ready earlier. It's just a big leap, especially for a guy that, despite having all the physical talent in the world, um, needing to lear- learn the position a little bit more, becoming a more well-rounded lineman. Um, and I think that's kind of the case with Alex Birchmeyer, who was probably a little bit more college ready when he arrived on campus um, back in January as an early enrollee. But again, you look at, he's a, he, they, he dabbled at tackle in the spring. Didn't really make sense as I think um, was probably expected just based on kind of his, his pedigree. Um, but it's probably, you know, in the mold of, um, like a Vega Ione or some of those guys that are just, you know, built to be maulers inside. But you look at the depth chart inside, you've got guys that have that physical maturity, have that experience, work them in, get them the experience, but let them continue to grow. Don't put more, don't put him out there just because he's the heralded um, blue chip recruit. Let him develop and get that, that, ex, that experience either limited on field experience or more likely at the practice field and in the, another off season. Um, where he can be a guy like like Vega Ione next year, where he you know is pushing the guy in front of him for a starting role, taking on a bigger role as reserve, um, 
the sky's the limit for both of them. I think Penn State's um, as, a, as a coaching staff and fans should be very excited about what they both are going to bring. Um, but I think if either of them are playing more than those four games, it's probably a sign that they've been dinged up by injuries by a couple guys ahead of them, and they've had to fast track um, their playing time. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, they're not going to be overwhelmed necessarily. Um, there's been a lot of Jevin Williams, Drew Shelton comparisons, you know, where Drew Shelton, you know, wasn't a finished product by any means last year, but certainly held his own for the most part um, in the seven games that he played a year ago. There's a lot of that kind of chatter with Jevin Williams. Um, so I think if you see him out there, it's not, oh my God, the season's gone terribly. And, you know, you know, another, another, you know, let down as far as expectations go. Um, but I think ideally they're both, you know, being worked in limitedly to get that, those four games of experience. And then you start to see in 2024, um, take on the roles of guys that we were talking about as the number twos this year. In 25 words or less, Matt, will this be the best offensive line that we have seen under James Franklin and why, or why not? Yes, and I can do it in less than 25 words. Depth of experience. You know, as we just went through, they, they've got guys who can play on the two deep at every position across the board. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I I think that, yeah, obviously, Olu, having Olu Fashanu is a big deal. Like having a surefire first-round draft pick really kind of helps push the scales in your favor in that regard. But I think as we've, as I think we've made abundantly clear here, the thing that excites us most about this Penn State offensive line room right now is the depth. It is the thing that has kept this room from really taking the next step for years now. And it is something that it is really exciting to see finally be built. And I think we also agree that Phil Troutwine is absolutely the guy to understand how to take advantage of that. And I think we're about to enter a pretty significant I, I won't call it a golden age because that's hard to really you know quantify until it's over but what could be a golden age for the Penn State offensive line especially if we're going to narrow it down to like the 2000s and later um, but Matt I think that is plenty for the offensive line obviously we'll talk about them more as we get closer to the season because they are an integral part of the offense in every way, shape, and form. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think it's um, one more thing that that I, I read earlier this year that kind of has, st- has stuck with me is I think this line's not going to be perfect. There's going to be breakdowns. There's going to be you know missed assignments. That's the nature of That's college unacceptable. Um, but I, I kind of touched on it earlier, and you mentioned it off the top is having two guys like Nick Singleton and Catron Allen in the backfield um, are going to help take so much pressure. Um, and I think that's a big reason or a big reason why the line took a step last year is they had two guys who made it acceptable, made it, made it productive. Even if things weren't perfect, you had two elite talents in the backfield that I don't want to say covered up mistakes, but minimize the impact of those mistakes just because they could make guys miss. They had elite vision, that, that sort of thing. Um, that's again, this year, those two guys are back. That's going to be, if not the, the, the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons why this line is going to be play so well, I believe. 
Yeah, an offensive line, you know, you can open all the holes you want, but if the backs don't run through them, then what do they really mean? It's definitely a symbiotic relationship in that way. Um, that's going to do it here for us here tonight for our offensive line preview for the 2023 Penn State football season. Once again, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please make sure that you do so. Also, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you are able. Helps get us in the ears of more people. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Get the alerts so you know every time we go live. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, go ahead and do it. We're very, very good looking. You won't regret it. Um, that's going to do it here for us tonight. We'll be back. Ooh, this is posting on a Friday, I assume. So we probably won't be back tomorrow, but we will be back the next, uh, work day probably with our, uh, starting our previews of the defensive side of the ball for Penn state, which is going to be very, very, very fun to talk about, but that's going to do it for us tonight. Make sure you check out homefieldapparel.com code RLR 23, 15% off. For my co-host, Matt, I almost said Matt Filipovitz. I'm so used to doing this flip. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Nick Pollock. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Go State.